Good morning. Tyler, our lesson this morning is be a leader, not a follower. And it's taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, where we'll really kind of focus in on that verse. But we'll notice that section also in verse 15 through 21. I want to go ahead and put this introduction slide up there. In verse 15, what we want to notice is Paul is really drawing a contrast between Timothy and those false teachers that he's dealing with at that particular time. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to be a leader. And then leadership is not optional, it is essential. And we'll talk about that as we go along. But I also want to pull up this slide. Three points that we'll take a look at this morning. Was the Lord well pleased? You may not understand this exactly right at this moment. Hopefully by the time you get finished, you will. Was the Lord well pleased? Was the work well done? And was the word well used? I will go ahead and put up the first slide, first point. Was the Lord well pleased? Now let me do a little introduction to all this so that we come to understand those points that we want to make from 2 Timothy chapter 2. If I ask you this question, What's a leader? What comes to mind when you think of someone who is a leader? Would you think about someone that shows courage? Would you think about someone that has integrity? Someone that has honesty? Someone that has vision? Knows where they're wanting to go and they can help others to get there also? Would you think about a leader as someone else or someone who helps others to accomplish their goals and then takes pride in the fact that those they helped were able to achieve their goals. Would you think of a leader as someone who lives by strong values and that they themselves are influenced in their thinking and in their behavior by their values? That's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to be. Let me give you the base definition of being a leader. A leader is someone who other people follow. (laughs) That's just the base definition. A leader is someone who other people follow. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul has already told Timothy that he is to be an example in word and in conduct. Be a leader, Timothy. And so as we give consideration to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 this morning in that section, I want you to think along those lines about how Paul is encouraging Timothy to be a leader and how that applies to us. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, he says, Be diligent to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me tell you what a... Christian writer said in regards to spiritual leadership. He said, In all walks of life, there needs to be leaders. In your walk of life, in your daily job, in your daily occupation, there are questions that need to be answered. There are dilemmas that need to be overcome. There is work that has to be done. There are gaps that have to be filled. The challenge is for you 
to fill those gaps, to be a spiritual leader. He said, if you come to understand that, then you will realize there is a purpose for you. And you are meant to answer something. You are meant to provide something. Create something. Overcome something. And in doing so, you show yourself approved of God. And at the same time, you improve the lives of others while you serve under the power of God and for the glory of God. Did you agree with that? I thought it was a pretty good statement. That's why it's stated that leadership is not optional. It is essential. In America today, I think most people would agree that there is a crisis in leadership. And the crisis is not in quantity. (laughs) There are plenty of people who want to be leaders. The crisis is in quality. And the crisis is in character. I want to give you a quote since there's a lot of big push nowadays about socialism, right? I'm not trying to get political, get on one side or another, all that, but I'm just saying this quote comes from someone who experienced socialism. A Russian who was expelled from Russia in about 1974, I believe it was. His name is Alexander Solinsky. And in a famous speech to one of our higher institutions here in this country, Harvard, this is what he said. He said, we have placed too much hope in politics and social reforms, only to find out that we are being deprived of our most precious possession, our spiritual life. All the technological achievements, including the conquest of space, has not redeemed the 20th century from moral poverty. That was a man who lived in, experienced socialism. And he said that here. And he said, that won't deliver you. He went on to say, what we need is a spiritual blaze. So now I'll add my famous quote. You can't have a blaze without a flame. And you can't have a flame without a spark. So what kind of a person does it take to make that spark? You know, in the world that we live in, in our society now, All the things that we once thought were just nailed down, it seems like they're all coming loose. In our jobs, in our homes, in our schools, in churches, in cities, in nations, we once again need a spark. 
But as he suggests, we need a spiritual spark. We need a spiritual blaze. What is needed is spiritual leaders. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 when he writes to this young evangelist in Ephesus and he's wanting him to be that spark. So he says, be diligent. Do your best. Make it your aim. Make it your goal to be approved of God in your life and your conduct and what you believe and what you share with others. That's the goal. That's the target. But let me give you another famous quote from a man by the name of Aristotle. He said, We, like archers, stand a far better chance of hitting the target if we can see it. You can't hit the target if you can't see it. But if you can see it, you stand a far better chance of hitting it. So Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, what they actually do is they help Timothy to see the target. So look at these words and then ask yourselves these three questions. Was the Lord well pleased? Was the work well done? And was the word well used? Timothy, at the end of every day, ask yourself those three questions. Was the Lord well pleased today? Was the work well done today? Was the word well used today? So first of all, was the Lord well pleased. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, Paul says, be diligent. Do your best. Present yourself approved to God. You know why he says that? Because in life, you can be hugely successful among men and maybe be a total failure when it comes to God. As someone suggested, it's possible to be so preoccupied with what others say that we forget what God says. On more than one occasion in Scripture, you find the Heavenly Father saying about His Son, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so, why is that true? Why was God so pleased with His Son? Well, we could say, well, the New Testament kind of reveals that. <laughs> Certainly does. But to be more specific, John 8 and verse 29, Jesus says that I always do those things which are pleasing to the Father. So why did the Father say that He was well pleased with Him? Because Jesus said, I always do those things that are pleasing to the Father. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, when it's talking about Jesus, it says in sacrifice and burnt offerings, He did not take pleasure. But in the role of the book, it is written of me. He has prepared a body. I have come to do Thy will, O God. 
So God found pleasure in his son because his son found pleasure in doing the Father's will. In John the 8th chapter, in about verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he'll have the light of life. So Jesus says, as he did the Father's will, then he was being a light to the world. A majority turned away from him. But Jesus said, as he did the Father's will, that he was the light of the world. So why was Jesus the light? And why did he do that? Because it was his Father's will. So who was it that Jesus was listening to? It was listening to his father. He wasn't listening to the popular voice of the day. He wasn't listening to the majority. He was interested in doing the father's will. And that's what made him the light of the world. Popularity with people is not the motivation. And that's not the goal. So what's Paul saying to Timothy? You want to be approved of God, not of men. That's not the goal. This is the target, Timothy, to be approved of God. Now here's what somebody said in regards to Christians. They said Christians are not called to be chameleons, but rather catalysts. Christians are not called to be flattered, but to be faithful. Christians are not to be thermometers, but thermostats. Thermometers just measure the temperature. Thermostats determine the temperature. If you don't think so, stand up in a school board meeting and speak the truth. <laughs> See if the temperature rises. <laughs> Determine the temperature. Don't just take it. I think we can understand why Paul said over in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that God did not give us a spirit of timidity. What he's saying, Timothy, is don't be timid. Can you sometimes feel a little intimidated when you're in a room full of people that maybe don't think, don't act, don't believe the same things that you do? And so does it happen sometimes that Christians take the temperature but they don't determine the temperature in the room? In verse 8 in that first chapter, he went on to say, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as his prisoner. So what was Paul, the advice that he was given to Timothy? 
to kind of put that in modern day terms, you know what Paul was saying, Timothy? Don't don't read the press reports, Timothy. Don't go to the newspapers to try to determine what you ought to be believing or what you ought to be doing. Sometimes we can be influenced by flattery and sometimes we can be influenced by opposition. But in this same letter, in the next chapter, Paul will tell Timothy, Yea, and all who would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's what to expect, Timothy. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the Holy Spirit has given us a whole list of Old Testament worthies. They didn't seek society's approval, they sought God's. In Hebrews 11 chapter, in about verses 1 and 2, he gives the definition of faith, and in verse 6 he follows that up and says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And that those who come to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And then in the latter part of that chapter, those who lived by faith, some of them suffered tremendous persecution because of their faith. Romans 10 and verse 17, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's the voice. It's not society's voice. It's God's voice. We haven't gotten there yet, but we'll get there real soon to chapter 4. And Paul will tell Timothy, there's going to come a time when they won't listen. But they will have itching ears and they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn away from the truth. So Timothy, at the end of the day, whose voice did you listen to? Timothy, at the end of the day, was the Lord well pleased? Secondly, was the work well done? 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, a worker, who deeds not to be ashamed. A worker. Matthew the ninth chapter. Jesus is talking about the harvest, and he says, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the second question we would ask is, is the work well done? And if someone suggests, it's not just saying just do the work. But it calls for a passion for that work. That it's not just a concept that we work for the Lord. But it's a pursuit that we strive and that there's a passion and that there's an excellence to 
be achieved. You ever think about that? A workman, a worker that needs not to be ashamed. A passion, a drive, an excellence that you strive for, that you shoot for. So you think about individually, and is that the way it is in my life? We think about it collectively, and sometimes we say things like, we see a person who seems to be really on fire for the Lord, or they seem to have a lot of knowledge from the Scriptures and so forth, and you hear people say, oh, I'd like to have that. Well, how did they get that? (laughs) It's a worker that needs not to be ashamed. Or someone would say, well, did you see that church? Boy, I'd like to be a part of a church like that. Well, how did they get to be like that? (laughs) And so there's a passion. There's a goal that we strive for if we want to achieve that let me give you this illustration and as I give this illustration I'm going to qualify this for us because you've heard me say this before (laughs) and I say it unashamedly within this congregation we have a lot of talent Would you agree? (laughs) I think you would. There's a lot of talent in this. Men, women, ability. We see some of our young guys stepping up, preaching, stepping up, teaching classes, doing a very good job. We see classes being taught. We see women involved with these things doing a very good job. There's talent. That's a blessing. But that's also a challenge. Now here's the illustration. <laughs> you ever heard of a well-known artist, sculptor, famous Michelangelo? <laughs> Everybody's heard of Michelangelo, right? If you've ever read very much on his life and so forth, it's amazing. And he was an amazing guy. And at a very early age, very early, it was recognized the talents that he had. And at a very early age, he was studying under some very talented painters and sculptors and so forth. But there's one in particular. His name was Bertoldo. He was a sculptor. He said he was a great sculptor. He was a great teacher. Michelangelo went to study under him. One of the things that Bertoldo oftentimes said was, Great students, gifted students, are prone to ride rather than develop. (laughs) You know what I meant by that? They can recognize their talent. They can recognize their gift. But they wouldn't do all that they could do to develop that gift. And if they were ever going to achieve greatness, then they were going to have to put in the work. It was on one occasion that he came to the studio one morning and a young Michelangelo was puttering along with a piece of statuary. Bertaldo could tell that he wasn't really engaged in what he was doing. So Bertaldo walked over and he picked up a mallet 
And then he strolled over next to a young Michelangelo. And he said, can I see the statuary? Michelangelo kind of showed it to him. And he took the mallet in a thousand pieces. And then he shouted, talent is cheap. Dedication will cost you. This will probably get me in trouble. I've been in trouble before. I see large congregations hiring two and three preachers, having four, five, six elders and talent sitting on pews listening do you think they're really developing talent's cheap dedication's costly so Paul tells Timothy you want to be approved? You be diligent, a workman, not to be ashamed. Earlier in that same chapter, he said, You will have to endure hardship. It won't be easy. And then in verse 8, he tells him to remember Jesus Christ, the seed of David, raised from the dead. What's he saying? He was approved of God. And then in verse 15, he tells Timothy, you seek to be approved of God. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take hard work. It's going to cost you something, Timothy. Well-known story in the Old Testament. We're getting ready to study David before long. We're not in 2 Samuel yet, so I'll skip ahead a little bit. On one occasion, King David goes to a place to a man by the name of Aruna, and he's going to offer sacrifice. Aruna recognizes this is the king. And he's coming to offer sacrifice, and he goes to him and he says, I'll give you the threat, I'll give you the floor, I'll give you the altar, I'll give you the sacrifice, I'll give you everything. You're the king. And David says, I will not. Offer burnt offerings. That cost me nothing. Romans 12 chapter Paul says. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies. A living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might show forth what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Matthew, the 25th chapter, Jesus taught the parable of the talents. You remember that? It's like a king going on a journey and he gives to his servants, to one he gives five, to another he gives two, and to another he gives one. 
And to the one that he gave five, and to the one that he gave two, they each took their talents, and they developed more talents. And when the king returned, he said, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I shall make thee ruler over many. Enter into the joys of the Lord. But to the one who had one talent and did nothing with it, Jesus says that they will be cast out. Paul's calling Timothy. But he wants him to be a leader. A spiritual leader. But that's going to come with a price. And as someone said, service that counts is the service that costs. And they went on to say that significant leadership is not available at bargain basement prices. It comes at a high price. But at the end of the day, Timothy, ask yourself this question. Was the work well done? And then thirdly, was the word well used? Once again, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to sow thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing. Some translations say, I like better. Not I like better, but I like it better the way they translate it. Handling aright the word of God. Timothy, I want you to be skilled. I want you to know hand, how to handle this word that you have. And so Paul is drawing a contrast between Timothy and the false teachers, those who were misusing that word. Let me read to you from verses 16 through 18. He goes on to say, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. What he's saying, they misunderstand the resurrection. <laughs> That's one of the ways in which they are not handling aright this word of truth. And in so doing, they're destroying the faith of some others. And he talks about vain and idle babblings. Resurrection's already passed. So he tells Timothy, you be diligent. And you accurately handle that word. John, the 17th chapter, about verse 17. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he was, betraying, or he was praying on behalf of those who were with him at that time, the apostles. But he not only prayed for them, he prayed for all those who would come to believe on him through their word. And then in verse 17 of chapter 17, he says, Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And the language that is used there means... The sum of the word is the truth. And we have to understand that what God has given us, this word, there's a progression to it. There's an understanding of it. There's an unfolding of it. 
and understanding God's plan of salvation as it runs all the way from Genesis to Revelation and from the garden to that eternal city. And we watch as it unfolds and we see the patriarchal age and we see the mosaic age and then we see it pointing towards the coming of the Christian age. And we see in that unfolding we see the covenants of Noah and of Abraham and with Israel through Moses and the covenant made with David and how it points to a new covenant with Jesus Christ. And in the unfolding of God's word, we see a world that is dead in sin that He's bringing salvation to so that that world that is dead can be born again. And in that word we see the separation of Jew and Gentile, but we see how He had a plan to make the two into one in His church. And in this word we see how men just like me. Lost in sin. That the hope of glory is Christ in me. How He takes those who were marred by sin and He conforms them to the image of His Son for His glory. And so Paul tells Timothy, you be diligent, Timothy. You rightly handle this word, Timothy. Because Timothy, in chapter 1, I know the faith that was in your grandmother. I know the faith that was in your mother. And I know that they taught you from your youth. And what were the scriptures that they taught Timothy from. It was that Old Testament. But, and how that was pointing to Jesus Christ and the Messiah coming, but the Messiah came. And the Messiah walked among men and then the Messiah died and the Messiah was resurrected. And Timothy, you know all that. And now these scriptures are being unfolded, Timothy. And the things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you commit those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, Timothy. Because you know this truth is being revealed. And he will tell him in the next chapter that when it's completed, it will become an all-sufficient guide. And you, Timothy, you preach that word. Let me tell you what somebody else wrote in regards to the truth. They said, honesty is adherence to truth. And truth is the discovery of reality. Reality revealed by God. And when we discover reality through truth, we must conform to it 
or we are not honest. Someone said, the challenge is just very simply this. God has spoken, and when He did, He didn't stutter. There's a lot of truth to that. He communicated the truth in this book, reality, and we watch it unfold, and we come to understand where we fit in, and then we must apply it. Someone said that God wrote not to satisfy our curiosity, but to change our lives. It wasn't written to make us smarter. It was written to make us like Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells Timothy, you be diligent. You do your best to correctly handle that word. I want you to learn it. I want you to live it. I want you to know it. I want you to share it with others. In verse 22, he will tell him, Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Timothy, I want you to be a spiritual leader. And at the end of the day, I want you to ask yourself, Timothy, Was that word well used? So was the Lord well pleased? Was the work well done? And was the word well used? I'm going to close with this thought. Someone said the three greatest days in a person's life are these three. It's the day you were born. It's the day you were born again. And then it's the day that you came to grips with why you were born again. So Paul says, Timothy, you be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed. Handling aright the word of truth. And if at the end of the day you can answer yes to that, then this is the result in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Is the Lord well pleased? Is the work well done? Is the word well used? That's the message from 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was Jesus himself who said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you're a child of God not been living as you should, John said that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If we can help you in any way, make your life right with the Lord today, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.